how many of you saw the coronation of King Charles III at some point over the last 24 hours? How many of you woke up at 4 a.m. To, to stay up to it? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, good job. Monarchists, that's great. Uh, I, I had the, the privilege of, I didn't actually watch the whole thing. I'll be, I'll be honest, I only watched part of it. I watched the ceremony part that was, to me, the most interesting. And the highlight of the, the ceremony was when the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland presented the king with a Bible. And then he spoke these words. Sir, to keep you ever mindful of the law and gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world has to offer. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Isn't that good? What a, what a good present to give to the king. As Christians, we believe the Bible is the most valuable thing this world has to offer because through it, we encounter the living God who reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to see and know Jesus, he transforms every dimension of our lives working from the inside out. This morning, we are going to explore for a few minutes what happens when we believe in Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, and we're going to start looking near the end of chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples are together. They're in an upper room somewhere in downtown Jerusalem. They've just finished eating Jesus' final meal together. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet as an example for them to follow. He's predicted his betrayal. He gives his disciples a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he tells them that he's leaving. In verse 33, chapter 13, verse 33, he says, Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then Peter asks, where are you going? Peter, Jesus responds, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asks, Lord, why can't we follow you now? I'm going to lay down my life for you. Jesus responds, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's horrified at the idea of being separated from Jesus. He couldn't understand why Jesus needed to leave. What were Peter and the other 10 disciples to make of this mysterious statement, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus could see that they were confused. So starting in verse, in chapter 14, verse 1, he begins to teach them how they and all future disciples will follow him in the absence of his physical presence. In our passage, verses 1 to 14, Jesus reveals three things that all disciples need to know. And these three things are, number one, 
we have an eternal home. Number two, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And number three, we are called to participate fully in his ongoing mission. So let's look at these three things this morning for a few minutes. First, we have an eternal home. John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. This passage is often read at funerals because of the comfort it brings. Jesus is speaking about life after death. He's going to die on the cross, rise to new life, ascend into heaven. And when we die, Jesus will take us to be with him in his father's house. Now, what's interesting about these words is that they are almost exactly the same words that were used in a Jewish betrothal ceremony. It was the custom of Jesus's day for the prospective groom to travel to from his father's house to the home of his of his new bride, pay a dowry, which would establish the marriage covenant, then return home to prepare a room for he and his bride to live in, in his father's house. The bride and the groom would live separated from each other for about 12 months. And during this time, the integrity of the relationship would be tested until this new Lodging was prepared and the time had run out. Then at the end of this time, and it was usually an unknown time, the groom would return, taking his bride back to his father's house, where they would consummate the marriage and celebrate with a wonderful seven-day wedding feast, and then they would learn to live together as one flesh. By using the language of betrothal, Jesus is telling us that he loves us like a groom loves his bride-to-be. It's such a beautiful picture. And if you look through John's gospel, this is kind of one of the main themes of John's gospel. Jesus is the groom, we are his bride, and he's preparing us to be with him in his father's house forever. Now, there's something else going on in these verses. Listen to a, a more literal translation. In my father's house, there are many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to be with my father to prepare an abiding place for you. And if I go and prepare an abiding place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you and I can be together. Jesus is telling Peter and the other disciples that there is going to be a new situation whereby Jesus and his disciples will be together in a spiritual way before they die. I am going to be with my father to prepare an abiding place for you. This abiding place that he's talking about is a present reality. In fact, it's more real, more concrete, more accessible, and more permanent than any physical home or place where we've ever lived. This abiding place is specifically designed for you. And the risen Jesus is there waiting for you to enter in. We enter into this abiding place 
that Jesus has prepared for us, every time we turn to our Heavenly Father in prayer, we enter into this abiding place that Jesus has prepared for us every time we gather together in worship and fellowship with other disciples. We enter into this abiding place that Jesus has prepared for us every time we become aware of God's presence as we go about our day. The abiding place Jesus has prepared is specifically designed for us to be with him along life's journey. Peter and the others could not yet enter in, not until Jesus had given them access through the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. At this point in the narrative, Jesus is preparing them for what would soon take place. In verse 4, he says, you know the abiding place to where I'm going. And then Thomas protests, Lord, we don't know where this abiding place is that you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is thinking of a physical place. He's expecting a, a more full description of the Father's house. So Jesus Again, sees his confusion, and he explains how one enters into this abiding place, which is the second thing that he wants all disciples to know. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself gives us access into this unique abiding place that he has prepared for us. The author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Jesus himself is the way. He died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, where he now exists in the fullness of God's presence, waiting for us to turn to him. One of the greatest challenges in following Jesus is that we devote so much time an emotional energy dwelling on the past and thinking about the future. Pay attention to your thought life over a 24-hour period, especially when you're by yourself. We can lose sight of, of what's happening in the moment. We can get so distracted and worried and, and caught up in, in, in things that are actually of, of no concern to us in the present moment. Jesus is currently with us in this abiding place, in the moment. He says, I am the way. I am. When God revealed himself to Moses, he described himself as I am that which I am. God exists continually in the present moment. Jesus is, I am that which I am in the flesh. He was with us in the past. He will be with us in the future, but he is with us, always in the present moment. And the amazing thing is that we are invited to live each moment with him. I am the way and the truth. The word truth in Greek, it means true, real, authentic, and sincere. When we look at Jesus, we are looking at the most true, the most real, the most authentic and sincere person who's ever lived. Jesus reveals the truth of who God is. In verse 7, he says to Thomas, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. 
Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus reveals the truth of who God is. He shows us what it looks like to be truly human, and he speaks the truth to us, setting us free from everything false until we become the truest, most real, most authentic, authentic, sincere versions of ourselves. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source and the giver of eternal life. The kind of life that Jesus is talking about here is the kind of life that can never run down, decay, or die. When we believe in Jesus, he shares his life with us. And we come to life in a whole new way. Jesus has prepared an abiding place for us. He is the way into this abiding place. He's the truth embodied. He's the giver of eternal life. The third thing that he wants us to know is that we are called to participate in his ongoing mission. Look at verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now, Jesus is not saying that we're going to do greater works than him in terms of like higher quality of work. I mean, he he preached the gospel. He healed the sick, cast out demons, calmed storms, fed the poor, raised the dead. He's not talking about quality of work. He's talking about quantity of work. We're going to be able to do more because there's more of us. In verse 13, he goes on, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. And then if we read on in chapters 15 and 16, Jesus will go on to say, ask in my name and I will do it five more times. This is how the kingdom of God advances in the world today. Jesus is our head. We are his body. Through faith, we're united to him. We are included in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling us that when we pray, when we ask the Father in Jesus' name, the Father will hear and respond so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. What should we ask for? Ask for whatever you know lines up with God's will. If you're unsure of what God's will is, read through the Gospels and pay attention to what Jesus is saying and doing. And then ask the Father to help you and those around you live into the reality to which the Gospels speak. When someone is sick, we ask the Father to pray. We ask the Father to heal them. When someone is stuck in sin and addiction, we ask the Father that they would be set free and find healthy, safe coping skills to respond to the many stresses of life. Pray that the gospel would go forth and that many would turn to Jesus and believe that he is the son of God. Pray for resources to be shared that those in need would have what they need to live. Pray for kings and governments that people under their care would experience shalom. Pray for the church that we would live together in unity. Yes, we're a diverse bunch of people with different points of view and different perspectives, but we're called to be united together and to bear the fruit of the Spirit, and to equip and and empower people to use their gifts and talents to participate in God's mission. And we're to pray for the sanctity of life. Today, Anic churches across Canada remember that God ordains each human life as sacred 
from the moment of conception throughout daily living until the moment of death, which is God's alone to proclaim. Jesus said, ask in my name and I will do it. Now, what are we to do when we ask and Jesus doesn't do it? The temptation is for us to doubt God's goodness and his faithfulness or to think that maybe we don't have enough faith or, or maybe there's something that we're doing in our life that we sh- you know, that, that's kind of blocking us from connecting with God. The reality is that we are a broken bunch of people. And we live in a broken world. Things are not working the way that they're supposed to work. And you know what? It's right for us to grieve and lament our losses. It's right for us to get angry over injustice and evil. God can handle our questions and our frustrations over unanswered prayers. And there may be seasons in your life when, you know what, it's just too painful to pray. You just can't pray. If you find yourself in that kind of a situation right now, it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. There are no feelings off limits with God. He sees you. He knows what you're going through right now. And he's with you in your suffering. If you are finding it difficult to trust God, let the church trust for you. If you can't pray, let the church pray for you. If you're wrestling with sorrow and grief and doubt, let the church support you. This is what it is to bear one another's burdens. This is the call that we have upon our lives to come alongside one another and to hold each other up. We need to remember that Jesus has already won the war. He has defeated sin, evil, and death itself. He has been raised to new life, and he's calling us to participate in his ongoing mission in the world today. We can so easily forget the mission that we've been called to because of all the brokenness. And I think that this is why Jesus tells us over and over and over again, ask in my name and I will do it. Tells us so many times. The enemy does not want us to pray. The enemy wants us to doubt. The enemy wants us to be off on our own, trying to do it alone. Because he knows that when we're by ourselves, we're sitting ducks. The kingdom of God is breaking into our world when we pray. Friends, Jesus wants us to know that he has prepared a unique abiding place for each one of us to be with him. It is both a present and a future reality. We enter into this abiding place every time we turn to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And from this abiding place, we receive power from him to act in alignment with God's will. And we are called to pray, asking in Jesus' name, this is how the kingdom of God will advance in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, our workplaces, in our cities, in concentric circles outwards to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. King Jesus, 
We thank you for preparing an abiding place for us. Protect us by your mighty power from everything that would try to undo us. Give us a strong desire to be with you. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see what you're doing in us and all around us. Teach us and help us to pray and be glorified in us, among us, and through us. We ask in your holy name. Amen.